0: I don't feel like I belong here. Like, I don't, I forgot that the world was spinning. Like for people to pause their lives and be still with us, because that motion gave me anxiety and that movement.
1: Hey mama, what do you think of when you hear the word success? Fame, status, and fortune? What about rocking your baby to sleep or coaching Little League? Advocating for your special needs child or mastering meal planning? maybe going back to school or starting your own business. The truth is success looks different for us all, and it may change depending on the season of life you're in. After finding myself in a dark place, I decided to set an example for my two boys by intentionally choosing what I wanted for my life and seeking it, even if it was scary. And now I'm so excited to bring you stories of other moms who are living out their version of success. I plan to ask these incredible women not only about their journeys, but how they are making it through the madness and the magic that we all know as motherhood. So whether your assistant just brought you a hot espresso or you're rocking your baby on a third cup of reheated coffee, settle in and get ready for some goodness. I'm Shannon Carruthers, and this is the Successful Mama Podcast. Hey mama, you are listening to episode 22 of the Successful Mama podcast and I am so excited you are here. Now, if you do not know me, my name is Shannon Carruthers. I am a habit and success coach for moms. I help you create an intentional life you love using habits and small changes that you can do even in the chaos of motherhood. Each week, I bring you a new episode where we talk about what does success mean because it looks different for all of us and... Sometimes that means that we're going to talk about hard stories and hard times that people have gone through because I think it's so important that we don't shy away from that, that we lean in so that we can better support one another, so that we can have some solidarity and knowing that we're not alone in the hard stuff that we go through. And so this week's episode, if you haven't listened to last week, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you should push pause right now. Go back and listen to episode 21. This is actually a two part episode. And so, our guest, Allison Moody, she is a mama, a teacher, and she is so kind and was so vulnerable and open and just willing to share her story. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. We talk this week about um, grief and walking through that and some of the ways that she felt seen and loved by people around her, ways that we could be helpful to others. Obviously this is her experience. It's going to look different for everyone but I think it is very powerful to just be let inside of her world and the fact that she was willing to share that with us gives us a little bit more understanding of how we can support others who are in similar situations. So I do want to give you a warning that we are discussing infant loss this week and So if this is a topic that is particularly sensitive for you, I totally understand if you need to skip this one. So just to give you a little refresher, Allison had been going through fertility treatments, and she and her husband had just found out that she was expecting. She went to the doctor's office, and this is what happened next.
0: And my husband is sitting in the room watching the screen, and he said, what is that? And like pointed on the screen. Nurse had noticed nothing. And she was like, oh, you have twins. And um, she looked at me, no reaction whatsoever. And um, and she was like, are, are you okay? I said, am I allowed to cry? <laughs> and I just burst into tears. It was so overwhelmed and not necessarily in a good way like we wanted a baby but i didn't know think i wanted two Mm -hmm. um not at the same time right so um we you know we knew they were identical because we had transferred one One, embryo right so we didn't know the gender but we did know that they were identical um important piece of information in my story identical twins are going to share a sack so basically, their blood source, their um, food source that attaches to me is all is one. So, you know, we accepted it. And we also decided in that moment, "Well, this is it. Like, <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna have that'll be three kids and like, complete like done. So as a mom, I was also processing that because we had wanted three children. So I was. Processing, this is also my last pregnancy. We're starting our last of all of these things. Right. And um, so that summer was hard as far as I felt horrible. School started back in August and we were having twins. And we found out eventually that they were boys. We did wait and find out through an ultrasound because when you go through IVF and stuff, so much of the fun is taken out of it. So, you know, we didn't want to find out. They're another piece of paper. Right. I could imagine that. Um, You know, everything was going pretty textbook. I went to the doctor every two weeks and had an ultrasound at every appointment. I alternated between my OB and then a high risk doctor just because they did share a placenta. So that automatically makes it high risk for the mom and for the baby. Okay. Um, so, every set of ident- identical twins out there is a high risk pregnancy. So, everything was going really good. And October came around. I went to the doctor. I want to say I was 18 weeks pregnant. And I went to my high risk doctor. And one of the babies was slightly bigger than the other. I wasn't bad enough yet to be labeled anything but it was something to watch because it's like okay these two babies umbilical cords are attached to the same food source so is one getting more nutrition than the other because they are copy paste of each other like they should not be different sizes but everything was fine I felt fine like everything was fine so this was fall break of um my school year so we went to Gatlinburg and by the time I got home from Gatlinburg, to say that the lower half of my body was unrecognizable is an understatement. Like, I sat in the bathtub when we got home, and like, my kneecaps were not visible, Aww. my ankles were not visible, like, I was so swollen. And, um, so you know, called the OB's office. And, you know, just told them I was swollen, you know, and they're like, well, you know, you're 21 weeks pregnant with twins, you're going to swell. right? Swelling is and, normal and expected. Right. Um, I didn't tell them my head was kind of hurting. Hindsight, I probably should have. So I went back to school on Monday. And several people who saw me when I walked into school were like, um, Allison, like, The the swelling wasn't going away when I slept or laid down. Like, it was still very much there. I, you know, mentioned something about my head hurting, and I just didn't feel good. And um, our school nurse, Chrissy Smith, I love her dearly. She's sweet. um, She used to work in the OB world, and she, you know, took my blood pressure, and it was in the 170s over in the 120s and she was like you're not getting up like lay down she has like a little bed in her clinic and um you know you're gonna call your doctor and I'm gonna call your husband she didn't really give me insight on her knowledge but she told my husband she was like you need to bring some stuff like y'all aren't going home My OB called me back, sent me to the OBED that's in um, Huntsville Hospital. You know, they took my blood pressure sky high. And they also tested my urine, and it was positive for protein. So that was an automatic Mm preeclampsia diagnosis. The doctor came in, not my doctor, the high-risk doctor actually came in and, you know, was like, you're you're not gonna leave this hospital pregnant. She offered to deliver and she recommended to deliver, but I was twenty one weeks. That twenty one weeks there's zero chance of viability.
1: How did you we, feel in that moment?
0: Shock does not explain it. Like I don't remember feeling anything. I just remember worrying about my child that was at school. I, I kicked into mom mode. Right. I kicked into Okay, so like, who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? Who's... But we're not delivering these babies. Like, that was not... We did really didn't even have a conversation about it. Like, my husband and I, like, it wasn't what we were doing. A few minutes later, my actual OB came in. She had her suggestions, and delivering was not one of them. But she did reiterate, but you're not leaving this hospital. Mm-hmm. Like, this not, you not know... an option. Right. So... We went through everything and my protein in my urine stayed very high, but my kidneys, my liver, all of the organs that with like HELP syndrome, H-E-L-L-P, if you want to look it up, goes with preeclampsia and it causes the mother's organs to start shutting down. And that is where even in our case, like if that has started happening, the babies would have to come out. Like right. there's no other option there. I wasn't having any of that. And then when I was on bed rest for a little while in the hospital, no med- I never took one blood pressure medication and my blood pressure was normal. So, this was to give you a timeline October of 2020. And I was 21 weeks pregnant when they admitted me. And I have a four year old at home. And they're telling me I'm not going to go home. And my due date's in February. Now, I was not going to go to my due date. 32 weeks was our goal. Like at 32 weeks, we were delivering right. regardless. But that was still 11 weeks away. And, and I had to he afford... couldn't see
1: you because this was COVID well, it was times, COVID, right? So
0: people were not allowed in the hospital. So I was on the antepartum floor. And my husband is fantastic. But if he feels like he's protecting me, he's pretty blunt. And he just told the nurse manager on the floor he was like if y'all want her blood pressure to come down like y'all gonna have to let her see her baby and yeah so a thousand percent nothing but an answered prayer because everybody out there knows it didn't matter what who you were you were not allowed in that hospital right um it got ran up the chain to the vp of women's and children's hospital and my son was allowed to come anytime he wanted And stay as long as we wanted him to, as long as it was within visiting hours. So basically, he had to leave by 9 p.m. every night. Well, he was 4, so he was gone. Right, of course. And so we brought, like, our Nintendo Switch up there, connected it. We played Mario Kart. The nurses brought him puzzles and games. And we spent about six weeks on beddress in a hospital. And I watched a lot of football. And it was football season. Um, the nurses jokingly would come in when Alabama was playing. And they're like, um, are, we, are we calm in here? <laughs> we won a national championship that year and went undefeated. So not a problem. Um, everything was great. And it, in all seriousness, gave me something to look forward to on Saturdays. Right. Um, the hospital's very busy through the week and very dead on Saturdays. Because people who don't have to be there are not there. And we couldn't have visitors. My mom actually could come if my husband wasn't there. They couldn't be there at the same time, but they could flip-flop with each other. That's awesome. But I went that amount of time, and the only people I saw that I knew that were not employees of this hospital was my husband, my mom, and my son. So to say that I developed a level of social anxiety is an understatement because I was going through this extreme fear In this extreme situation, and I was, I'm gonna hide things anyways, which came out in the beginning of our story. I'm not the kind to just like tell everybody everything. So the fact that I was allowed and forced basically to hide in this hospital room was not healthy for me. Right. So 26 weeks is um, where everything
1: totally took a different turn. All right. So 26 weeks. Tell me what happens.
0: Um, Everything was going really well. The nurses would come in, you know, sometimes, you know, I don't know why, you know, you're not at home on bed rest. Your blood pressure is fantastic. And so I was monitored on the, anybody that's had a baby, you know, where they put the thing around your, wa- your waist and put mm-hmm. the monitor on the baby while you're, um, having contractions and in labor. I would do that every morning, every night for 20 minutes. It took forever. It took way longer than 20 minutes because both babies would have to stay on the monitor and they would move and come off and but we knew they were fine because they were moving and coming off. Right. At 24 weeks I was able to get steroids and just hitting those benchmarks that we were waiting for, right? At 24 weeks viability is possible at 26 weeks or 25 weeks, it's more than 50% at 26 weeks in a NICU like Huntsville Hospital is a pretty high success rate. So it was on November the 8th, a nurse came in to do my monitoring and she was finding like some movement, but then was like struggling to get both babies on, which was completely normal. And think about like 26 week old gestation. They're tiny. They're moving around each other. There's you know, they don't have to really stay put. I did remember when I got out of the shower that afternoon, saying something about because when they were moving, it was a lot like it was a lot of movement. And um, kind of joking to my husband a little bit, like, you know, I was like, I don't know what they're doing there. But like, just feeling less movement. Um, But I was still feeling movement. So it wasn't, you know, it didn't trigger me in any way. My husband was actually not there at the time. He had taken my son back to uh, my parents' house because that's where he was essentially living. I was texting him the whole time. I was like, they're having a hard time finding both babies. But once again, this, it would take them 45 minutes sometimes to get me on the monitor, and then we would still have to stay there for 20 minutes. So it was always an event. For me, it made my days go by faster because it took so long, but um you know he got there and at that point i just kind of looked at him and i texted him from across the room i was like i don't feel good about this then you know you have that the nurse hey i think i'm going to go get ultrasound and see if they can see where the baby is and that had never happened they had mentioned it a few times but it the previous times they were able to find the baby they just needed a visual to see like is this baby doing backflips like why right. can't we get him on the monitor But this time was different. They weren't finding, they found one of them, but they weren't finding the other one at all. And it was like, okay, are we finding the same one twice or what's going on? But just like mom gut, you know, just at a certain point, it was like, this doesn't feel right. The ultrasound came in and I mean, even if you've not ever been in the room when this happens, you can 100% imagine what it looks like like it's just basically when the nurse won't tell you anything you know that there's something wrong and so they went to get the OB it wasn't my OB it was the OB that was on call so you know she came in and you know explained to us that there was a baby that no longer had a heartbeat the grief did not hit me immediately anybody that's a mom can relate My first thought was, what about the other one? Like, what are we going to do here? Like, what, can I stay pregnant? Can, like, is what happened to, you know, baby A going to happen to baby B? And at this point, we did not name who was who. So we knew their names, but we had not assigned them a name. So they were still referring to them as baby A and baby B. We were just going to pick who was who when they were born. Um, So, you know, she had that conversation with us. And she said, we're going to put you on the monitor for the entire night and keep an eye on him, on baby B. And in the morning, your doctor will come by and we'll see you. Before 8 o'clock, my OB and the high-risk doctor were in my room standing at the foot of my bed. Overwhelmed is not describe it like I'm like okay I haven't seen anyone all morning and now y'all are all in here like what's going on and apparently the the baby that was still living was having some signs of stress through the night on the monitor my OB was like we're you're having c-section like this morning I was like okay she said we're going to put you on magnesium You know, we're going to do the C-section as quickly as we can. We've got to draw some blood. You know, we've got to wait on some lab results. But like everything's being rushed and you're we're going to deliver. They sat me up and I have little diamond studs that I wear all the time that my husband got for me, but they're screw on. And so they sat me up. One nurse was pulling my hair back and like braiding it. There was a nurse on either ear unscrewing my earrings (laughs) like it. They were phenomenal. Like they just came in, rallied around me. They took me back into surgery and they had me sitting up and they could not do my spinal tap till my blood work came in and like it wasn't cleared to do it. And so there's one nurse on the phone, another nurse refreshing on the computer, waiting on that blood work to come in. And like the second they got the clear, the anesthesiologist was like, all right, here we go did the spinal they brought in my husband they delivered both babies they delivered so Riker is the was the living baby and they delivered him at 859 and then um they delivered bryce at 901 so it felt like a long time but it was right before eight o'clock when they were in my room and they were born before nine so this was so fast they offered you know do you want anything um it may make you fall asleep. You may not remember much of this, and I ultimately was like, "I I need to remember this," but more so than that, I didn't want to fall asleep because I had a twenty like a twenty six week old micro preemie going to the NICU. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really able to grieve Bryce immediately because I needed to know about Riker. My husband. Had no idea what to do. He was like, do you want me? I was like, no, I want you with him. Like, go. Go with him. I didn't have a phone or anything on me, so I couldn't get updates from him, but at least I knew he was there. Yeah. So he took me to recovery. Um, my husband came not long after. Riker actually, just huge miracle in his little life, was breathing 100% on his own all the way from C-section to the NICU. They didn't do a breathing tube immediately. They, nothing, if you're familiar with Huntsville hospital, that's not even the same floor. Mm -hmm. So that's several minutes of them moving him and they got him situated and to be 26 weeks old, like he was fantastic. You know, we got to spend some time with Bryce in the recovery room and, um, they were able to get some pictures for us and stuff. And then once, my doctor cleared me. They were able to wheel me down to the NICU to see Riker. Of course, we couldn't hold him. We weren't going to be able to hold him for a long time anyways. But I did get to, you know, stick my hand in and, like, hold his little finger. And, you know, and he looked good. He was pink and, like, looked great. And um, so we went back up to the room. And, you know, we had to call our son, who was four at the time and tell him that the boys were born and one of them didn't make it. And he came up there later that day and just spent the day with us and was a good relief. But, you know, we had to explain to him that, you know, right now we're focused on Riker and that Bryce is in heaven. And he handled it like a little champ as well as a four-year-old can. Yeah. Um, And so we just spent the next four days, you know, I pumped and they took it to him and I would go see him. And I was um, in my room. I had to stay on bed rest for a little while because of the preeclampsia before. So I had to make sure I wasn't having postpartum preeclampsia. I did not. So it was a little while before I could just go see him when I wanted to. So he did really great. You know, we were making plans for how we were going to handle this because they had prepped us that he would probably be in the NICU till his due date. So this was November the 9th and my due date was February the 17th. So we were looking like long-term trips back and forth to the hospital, transporting milk, you know, eventually could try to nurse him, but we were a long way from that.
1: And how was that at that point? Like, were you feeling I mean, were you feeling the heaviness of all of this, or was it still survival mode and just checking off the things on your list? So
0: about 24 hours after my C-section, it really hit me. And I really, I don't want to say grieved Bryce, because you don't grieve a baby in a moment, but like really spent some time like grieving him and what was happening and then would immediately have to get back to focusing on Riker. Mm -hmm. Um, one thing that they told us, and I really just tried to live by it because it's all I could do was like, he's good for now, like one step at a time. And I was always talking to the nurses, like focusing on what's that next benchmark? What are we looking for next? And and really, that's as far as I thought.
1: And I hope you don't mind me asking, but were you allowing yourself to go to the place of what if? Like, what if? Um
0: definitely not allowing myself. Okay. Um, But on the flip side, I still believe, based on the information we were getting from the medical team, that to be 26 weeks old, like they were impressed. Like the doctor literally when he got down to the NICU was like, I mean, he needs help breathing so that his body can develop and he can rest but like this child is literally breathing on his own he just was doing great and so no I definitely didn't allow myself to go there but to be really honest and really vulnerable I think a huge part of me was like we've had this huge miracle like we've been praying and praying and praying and trying to get pregnant and then we didn't ask for two but we got two and then I made it from 21 weeks to 26 weeks with like sky high blood pressure to start with, like one doctor wanting to deliver and we made it that far down the road. God wouldn't take both of them. Like that was where a lot of my mind was. This miracle happened for a reason. What we don't know what it was, but like he's here. And like, I just couldn't let myself believe that a tragedy could become a, worst tragedy. Right. So, he did really really good and then on the fourth day they were kind of tweaking with his breathing and stuff and um just something was a little off, but they weren't seeming critical, but I just couldn't be at peace with it. Like I was finding myself like googling like things they had said, trying to figure out what it could be, what it couldn't be. Just in a desperate mode of, you know, trying to figure it out. And I just didn't feel great. I was supposed to be discharged the next day. I could only stay five days past my C-section because insurance wouldn't pay for it, but I also didn't need to be there anymore. But he was going to stay. We also knew we knew the day we found out we were pregnant that NICU was a possibility. Right. Because they right, were twins. Because it twins. So it was almost like we were just processing what we already knew and we didn't know how early it would be. And we definitely didn't think it would be this early. Mm-hmm. So I think that made it easier to not worry about what if because it was like, all right, well, we're in the NICU. We knew that's what was going to happen. Right. You know, they called us a couple times on that day and we're just you know adjusting things and then they finally just told us the doctor down in the NICU at the time she was like I don't know what else to do for him like he's he hasn't had a wet diaper in a while like his organs seem to be shutting down at you know 10:30ish that night they called us and we were like you want to come down here right now at this point we were pretty prepared not prepared but I was kind of, my gut was just like, this is not, like, I was scared. Yeah. And we went down there, and it was 12, 15 adults in this, like, one-pound, six-ounce baby just doing what they can to try to, like, save him. And I can still, like, be in that room, like, and my husband with me and just all the noises and all the sounds. And um, they ultimately were not able to save him. He ended up having an infection, which is pretty common, unfortunately. We did not opt to do an autopsy on either baby. It wasn't going to change it. It wasn't going to fix it. Um, It was going to give me something else to worry about down the road. We knew that we weren't done. We knew that we wanted another baby. We had two completely different grievings going on. And one was grieving our children that we lost, but none of that replaced the grief we had because we wanted to grow our family it was completely separate pots of grief and i say that to say we weren't like ready to have a baby right that minute but like not for one second did it go away declan was getting older and at this point this is 2020 we started trying in 2018 yeah. the beginning of 2018 this is the end of 2020 so we're pushing three years it's like before going through this, like it would have been easy to be like, man, like they just went through this. Like, why are they worried about having another kid? Well, it's because in your heart, it's to it's, they don't go together. Right? They don't regardless. Like I want my child to have siblings to grow up with. And like, now we have siblings we can talk about. He's not growing up with them. You know, we lost him on Thursday and my husband and I have talked about it in a like a 1,000% are thankful for and believe that God was in control. I can't imagine losing him from my house. Like if he was not going to survive, I'm thankful we were there. We were not at home. I was able to hop out and we were there for every moment. Because if we come from home, he would have been gone by the time we got there. Right. And so we, I fully believe that while none of this makes sense, I still can't make sense of it. And I still can't tell anybody why or what the call, co- I mean, now I've quit trying to figure it out. But at the same time, like thankful for those little glimpses where I'm like, okay, like Had this been 24 hours later, we would have been at home. We would have had to find someone to come take care of our other child because he couldn't go with us. And one parent wasn't going to go alone. Like it would have just been a whole other basket full of complications. Yeah. And so um, we spent some time with him and it's a hard night for sure.
1: Um, I can only imagine. And I I do want to ask you, with you know you talked about your grief being two separate things which i think is really i, I think i just think that it's it's emotional intelligence that you're showing saying okay this this is the way that i felt i felt this and i felt this and they were the same but they were separate and but on the topic of grief i think that grief is such a a hard thing that we all struggle with but it's also something that we tend to distance ourselves from if we can. Right. For the most part. It's so hard to sit with someone in a stage of grief and just to be present and not turn away from it. Right. And so important. And so I'm I'm prefacing that to to say or to ask you, I guess. I'm curious what were some of those things that people did or said that maybe helped you in your stage of grief that where they didn't turn away, where they were there with you um, and didn't necessarily like, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, it's 100%. easy to, okay. Cause yeah. it's easy to say, I'm so sorry for you, but I'm going to feel that over here. So what were the things that people did or said where they felt that with you? Um. So as I've said before, I
0: don't always want everyone to like see that it hurts there was two sides of that question and almost my answers are almost going to contradict each other but like I 100 feel that both sides were amazing but I had some people in my life who would know without knowing that like I don't want to put that burden on you, but they would just like hug me anyways, like force a hug. I know not everyone's comfortable with that. right? Um, but like those people who were comfortable with that, like just like give me permission to grieve in front of you. Um, I remember one specific situation and I won't say her name just because I don't want other people to feel like I don't appreciate them because right. I could list a thousand people right of course. now. But- I didn't cry when she saw me but she cried and that's her reaction that's her personality but it gave me permission to like okay like she's hurting and so of course I have permission to hurt it meant the world to know that like other people did hurt because as a mom and my husband as a dad like Nobody met these babies like the nurses and the doctors and us. But like my child that was at home, grandparents, this was still 2020 and they were not allowed in the NICU. Yeah. Um, it felt easy for the world to just be like, well, man, that was awful. So for people to let us see and let us know that like we felt this for you, like yeah. we feel this to the core. I remember getting in the, my husband's truck and leaving the hospital and we were driving down the parkway in Huntsville going home and I was just looking out the car with this weird stare on my face. And, um, and we had, we went straight from the hospital to the cemetery cause I just wanted everything dealt with and, um, and the hospital needed to know what to do. So it was kind of in a place anyways, but I'd also was on medication cause I had just had a C-section but I just had this stare on my face. And I remember him asking me, like, are you okay? And I was – the The entire time I've been in that hospital, hundreds and hundreds of cars have driven down the parkway. Like, this world didn't freeze. My world froze. Right. But then we went out into Huntsville, and it looked just like it did six weeks before. And – It gave me a whole new perspective on people and loss and grief. And you, not everybody's in the hospital that long or, you know, away from the world that long, but even in their minds, like you go out and you're like, I don't feel like I belong here. Like, I don't, I forgot that the world was spinning, like for people to pause their lives and be still with us, because that motion gave me anxiety and that movement. And just to come like sit on our couch, or, you know, and of course, everybody, you know, people bring food and send gift cards and things like that. I'm not going to belittle any of that, because every bit of that was necessary. Yeah. So all of those things, I don't feel like I need to mention those, because everyone does those, right. Right. But like, for people to just be willing to like hit the pause button and just like hurt with us because we did not do anything at the graveside or a funeral or anything. Um, It was 2020, but also once again, we weren't letting people see us hurt and I felt like that was a wall I could keep shut. Sometimes um, maybe for the memory of them, I wish we had, but ultimately it doesn't change anything. And I don't know that it would have been good for us because I had been locked in a room. Yeah,
1: that's what I was about to ask was, was that a, you know, you talked about it was not a good thing at the beginning when you were on bed rest for people to not be able to come and go. It was what you preferred, but not necessarily the best for your mental health. Right. So I was curious, is that the same case with this, you know, when you're going through loss of...
0: You're seeing all of it come to play. You're seeing all of the me being able to hide, explode at this point. This was the beginning of November. So Thanksgiving was coming up. And actually when we got out of the hospital, my husband caught COVID and then the rest of us had COVID. So once again, no one was allowed in our house. So there was two more weeks where, you know, we didn't go to Thanksgiving because we had COVID. And in the moment I was like, yes, we don't have to go to Like it It was a, a win for me, yeah. not healthy for me. But it was a win. Right. So then, you know, we got through all of that and we went to Nashville and stayed at the Gaylord and did the Christmas lights and went over to Opry Mills and had a weekend away just the three of us, which was great for me to be in public, but I didn't know a soul around me. Mm -hmm. So it really did no good. Like it was not, we hit Christmas and, and we were starting to be around family at this point, but church was virtual. So we were not going to church i was not working my husband was working from home like the rest of the world was and um and so this grief and this life i'm just having it in my house by myself and i'm hiding it and thinking i'm protecting you know all these people from it and um and going through all the postpartum things too like healing and hormones and um And I continued to pump and donate for a while afterwards just to let my body do something it was supposed to do. But then also the company I donated to um, sends their milk to Huntsville Hospital. And so I knew that the NICU babies there would be receiving it. And it was just definitely a grieving act. Uh, It's Mother's Milk Bank of North Alabama, if you're looking for one. All of these things that my body was just going through. So you've got grief on top of my body was postpartum. Right. I went back to work in January and really didn't make it through the first day. I got It was just teachers because you go back to school and teachers are there without students for a few days. And I mean, I just like lost it. And just the social anxiety was exploding. I felt like and I'm. I am certain that people talked about our situation and I'm okay with that. I still want people to talk about our boys and to love them. But it felt like every single person I walked by was like, that's her. It felt like the weight of the world was just coming down. And so that took grief. I guess I didn't really know until I went through this. It's not just missing someone. It's, compounded and it's going to be different for everyone but like like I think some of that social anxiety was just grief that I felt like was written on my forehead I didn't want all these people to you know feel the pain that I was feeling but on the flip side like I didn't want people to just forget about them
1: right but um so what would you tell people in that situation what's What do you wish that they would have done? Or was there anything that they could have done or said? I think that I am
0: confident that anyone who's been through grief would say this. But my answer to that is say what you want to say. I'm going to appreciate it. Like, if you don't know me at all, but you know my story and you want to hug me and just be like, your boys were precious, or I can't imagine the pain you're feeling or just hey like if I see someone that I haven't seen in a while and maybe they have heard our story or have seen our story but I don't know that just say it like hey like I know what y'all went through like and just acknowledging the elephant in the room always makes me more comfortable yeah I don't want to dwell on it with every single person I'm with But, like, if we – perfect example, they do the Tinsel Trail out Mm at um, Big Spring Park every year. And there's a Christmas tree that we always have the boys' names put on. Um, It's Riker's Rainbow. And there were people that I'm very good friends with and then people that I don't know as well who, like, snapped a picture and were like, hey, we saw your boys tonight. And, like, it just means the world to us. And one person in particular – Sent me, you know, told me like she has a little girl that's close to the age that they would have been and was just like, hey, like we stopped tonight and we talked about your boys and like just little things to just let people know like, hey, I'm on your mind instead of just she might get upset if I say that. Right. Because I'm never going to get upset if you say it.
1: And I'm, I'm curious to know, too, does that do you feel like that gives you permission to then talk about it if you want to? The way that you talked about, you know, your friend crying first gave you permission to cry. If someone brings that up and acknowledges it, do you feel like then that gives you permission to, to talk more openly about it or am I on? No, a thousand okay. percent. And maybe not in that moment. Okay.
0: Like, um, I may not have anything to say in that moment, but thank you. But... Let's say I'm around this person and something happens that really makes me think about them or just triggers an emotion that's hard. I feel like I'm able to be like, man, that like made me think of the boys or that was a tough comment or, you know, just able to share those moments with people. Um, And where our story leads to next, there's actually that happened a ton
1: and, and one of the things that I've loved, um, I've loved seeing posts on Facebook of you taking the kiddos to their graveside and like mm-hmm. sharing about them and talking about your family of six, uh, you know, how that was one right. of the things that you said say a little bit more about that. Um,
0: so there's not a single time where I'm out with my family or with my kids or whatever and someone says like you know oh are this all you have and of course my answer is always yes but it's gut wrenching every time because as a mom you're not going to deny your other children of course but there's a level of being respectful of other people you're just passing me in target I don't know you from Adam we're not going to stand here and have a conversation Um, so There's, you know, but then there's levels of deeper than that, where maybe it's someone I've just met, but they're going to be, maybe they're new at our church, or maybe I'm teaching their child this year, or maybe I'm working with them, or there's a situation where they ask that question, and I don't know what to say, because ultimately, they're going to be around me and right. i feel like it's who i am i feel like it's my story i feel like it's a part of me like um like my necklace has all my children's names on it i love that and i've been
1: looking so, at it i've noticed it's, it's a that's really present. cool
0: um and so they may notice something like that and then they've been around me daily for six months and it's kind of like not awkward but so i've kind of gotten in those situations where if i feel there's an appropriate moment like just to tell them like, Hey, this is our story. Or, as you said, like, just continually sharing about
1: them. Well, I, I mean, I truly appreciate you being willing, and you know, to share and just being vulnerable and open, because I know, that's something that is it's such a fragile thing. And it is something that if you haven't experienced, you don't know how to deal with it. You don't know how to talk to someone on that level because, you know, but but you just saying that, letting you know, that people are thinking of you letting you know, you know, just giving you that permission to, to love your babies to grieve your babies in the time, you know, especially right right after loss, I I just think that it's really helpful for those of us that are, are hearing, you know, what you're saying. So I appreciate you sharing all of that. Um, and I do, I want to jump forward a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you now have another sweet little girl.
0: Correct. So in the spring, after we had, um, went back to work and we're just trying to find our life, we, um, the, our family went to Disney world and then my husband and I went to Hawaii by ourselves for a 10 year anniversary. And we found out on our 10 year anniversary in Hawaii that we were expecting, um, we, I was seven months postpartum. We had no IVF, no medical intervention whatsoever. So we had, you know, we came home and we were very hesitant. Um, my infertility doctor was willing to see us and kind of followed us through those early weeks until my OB took over. There was just one. We were very pleased to hear that. <laughs> her due date was one day before the twins' due date. Mm-hmm. Um, so we copied and pasted kind of the year we had just had, except for not. I mean, my milestones were the same. We found out the gender of the baby about the same time frame. And so we went through the whole pregnancy with her. Um, my blood pressure acted up a little bit in my second trimester. So I got put on bed rest at home. But two weeks later... It had been fine at home. Everything was great. I was off of bed rest. She was born at 38 weeks and she was a plan C-section just because we were not supposed to be pregnant. Yet. Right, right. And she was in the NICU for about a week. Um, it was five days. That was terrifying. More terrifying than it was with the boys because we did not go through this whole pregnancy right thinking we're going to end up in the NICU. I do feel when we were in the NICU, I really felt this piece of like, like God's got this under control. And like, this is our plan because it was a, a very much of a healing time for us, like to go back into that room because you're not allowed in that room if you don't have a baby in that room. So that's a place I could have gone the rest of my life and never set foot in. And so I think being there and seeing some of the nurses and we got to talk to the doctor that had Riker the night he passed and she was doing you know going through everything with Michelin and you know was with another doctor because of NICU they round in groups and um and like she just very much remembered us and the doctor with her knew who we were and she was like we were like you know who we are and The doctor beside her said, "You, she will never forget that story. Like those are stories that you know we take home with us too. And to have those moments were we didn't know that we needed it. So you know, it was just this huge healing time that we didn't realize was going to be such a blessing,
1: right? Um, Because you don't necessarily like you're thinking about the excitement of the new baby and all that, but." I can imagine right. you're not thinking about all that you're carrying with you and how that's going to affect you.
0: Right. So she was born on February 2nd, 2022. So her birthday is two, two, Um <laughs> But we got her home and she's done great. She's been the highlight of our life for sure. We love Declan with everything in us. And Declan holds a special place with us because He went through everything with the boys and he remembers them and he loves them with all his heart and he loves to talk about them. And then with Micklin, to see her brother's love for her and his appreciation for her is, it's just beautiful. And, you know, I really wanted with her to be able to still just give back to those communities. So I nursed and pumped with her for a year, but I also throughout that year was able to donate about 12,000 ounces to a company that gives to fragile
1: babies. And what what an amazing gift to give, like the way that, you know, you donating with the boys, you gave that gift to so many babies then, but then how many you impacted with Michelin? Because I can say my little boy was not in the NICU, but we did go through a stage where I didn't know how he was going to eat. Mm -hmm. He rejected bottles. Um, My milk supply dried up overnight. And I just remember like sitting in my chair, sobbing, thinking, how am I going to feed my baby? And one of our best friends, um, she also had a baby at the same time. And I drove to Birmingham and I got him, you know, her milk. And it was just the biggest relief. Like I could cry talking just about that. It was such a blessing. And so I know from the receiving and not even adding on top of that the fact that your baby's in the NICU, what a blessing that is. So I just, you know, I saw that when you posted, I was like, wow, that is just such an incredible gift that you gave.
0: It was a, very much a healing and a, you know, an act of love and grief. And I'm glad that I feel like it would make them proud.
1: Yes, so I think so too. Um So I want to ask you the big question of the podcast with all that you've been through with, you know, what you see for your life ahead. What does success mean to you?
0: Um, For us, success is with our children, just being a family and spending that time together and not putting things in that take our time that, or not with our children. And I feel like we have a huge appreciation for our children that not every single parent has just to have them here and to hold and to be able to, you know, yes, we're. I'm not saying I love a 3 a.m. screaming, but like I get to hold her and yeah. I get to be here with her. and um, And then success for us and our family with our children, especially with Declan, this will come with Michelin, but with Declan, to take the moment and the the journey. It was a four year journey. It was four years from the time we decided to have another till we brought Mikeln home from the hospital. Through those four years to take the time in our words and our prayers and our actions to like teach our child like no matter what. This world is giving us and no matter how bad it hurts and no matter how much we hate it like there's still a God that loves you and he's going to be there for us and he's going to take care of our boys till we get there and we tell Declan all the time we're like you have to get to heaven that's where your brothers are Mm -hmm. and like he just you know to see him in his own little baby faith like to not To not waver and to just, you know, this is, we don't always have a why. And, like, I hope he can take that forward in his life. And, like, it doesn't matter how little or big of a tragedy it is. There's going to be a time in his life where he wants to know why. Yeah. And that's been our big thing is, like, you may not know why. But you take it and you do what you can and you help others. And you, I don't, it doesn't matter how small it is, somebody is going through it or went through absolutely. it absolutely, and, you know, can and know that you made it.
1: Absolutely. And your story, you know, the fact that you're sharing this, there may very well be someone listening that is going through something similar. And um, and so with that, you know, where can they reach out to you if someone wants to reach out or connect with you? Um, on Instagram at Allison Nicole 06.
0: Um, my name is spelled A-L-Y-S-O-N-N-E-C-O-L-E-O-6.
1: And I'll make sure to link that on um, SuccessfulMamaPodcast.com. So in the show notes there, you'll be able to find that. And also there was a special um, thing that you wanted to share as well, because like we talked about, a lot of times people don't know what to do in those times of, you know, how can you help someone out who's going through something like this? So what would you recommend?
0: Right. So this is obviously a situation where um, there's not always something you can do directly for the family. Um, I do always recommend if you don't know what to do, email them a good Grubhub or DoorDash gift card um, and it's they can use it on their own time um, and stuff. But if you're wanting to help this grieving mother's community as a whole, um, there's an amazing nonprofit. It's called Rikers Rainbow. Um, it's not named after my Riker, but, um, I do believe that it's not a coincidence that when I met this mama, that our babies had the same name. Um, but they're here in Huntsville and they do a lot in the community, but their big outreach is they make boxes and they deliver them to the hospitals, um, that have things in them for the families who have lost a child, um, and they have things in them that mean something it's not just a random box of things that were collected and thrown together because they the hospital wants to give you something they have um things in the box that are you're able to like use your child's handprint and have a plate made or you're able to you know use something that you have from your child and have their name put on it or so it's a it's a mom, it's a family, it's a community who's been through this. Right. And her mission, her ministry in the world is she has these boxes made. Um they have a Facebook, they have an Instagram, they have a website. You can donate anytime on their website, but they do fundraisers periodically too where they'll sell stickers or magnets. Um, in October, check them out. They sell, um, red, uh, pink and blue, like mailbox bows, um, in memory of those who have lost. If you know someone who's lost an infant, you can pay for one and have it sent to them to put on their mailbox. And,
1: um, but they do amazing things. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and I'll make sure to link all of those as well on the website. So head over there if you're driving or you, you don't remember, um, and I'll make sure those are there and available. So last but not least, Ms. Mm-hmm. Allison, I want to ask you a few quick rapid fire questions. Oh no, um, I'm horrible at this. <laughs> <laughs> they're super easy. So number one is what is your coffee order? I already know this one. We talked about this before. It's
0: Starbucks. It's a white chocolate mocha, um, iced in the summer and hot in the winter.
1: Awesome. Uh, number two, how clean does your house stay on a scale of one to 10 on average? Uh, My obsession over my clean house is my downfall. Um,
0: So we clean the house and we go to bed at night um, to a fault. That's a good habit to have. (laughs) So I would say eight, maybe. I'm just, if I start getting stressed, my husband starts cleaning the house. Like, okay, this this can fix it.
1: Yep. All right. Number three, what is a book or show you have recently loved?
0: Actually, I just finished um, the book Redeeming Love because I'd been dying to watch the movie. Mm Mm-hmm and i didn't want to watch the movie till i read the book the movie does it no justice don't watch the movie. It's typical i loved redeeming love it was fantastic
1: that's great all right number four what's the most random item in your purse right now
0: i just got a new purse like two days ago so it's (laughs) It's clean clean um there's a good chance there's a applesauce pouch in there i currently
1: have one in my purse (laughs) yep I get it. It's a good chance that's in there. That is mom life one for sure. Well, Allison, this has been fun. Thank you for sharing. Obviously not fun in all the conversation, but I have enjoyed getting to sit down with you, getting to catch up because it's been yeah. a while. Um, but again, I just appreciate you being willing to share. So for sure, you guys, thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week and we will see you next time on the Successful Mama podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Successful Mama Podcast. For more information, head on over to SuccessfulMamaPodcast.com where you can find show notes and all of the links mentioned in today's episode. Tap that share button and remember to tag at Successful Mama Podcast. And make sure to go leave a review. It really does help. A special thanks to Will Carruthers. Until next time, remember Mama, success looks more than one way and it's up to you to define it.